Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. They were gladiola bulbs and a wedding present, part of a whole assortment of perennials and annuals we'd received soon after Lisa and I were married. We planted them in the backyard of the little house where we were living, and we enjoyed watching them grow. Back then, as now, I actually knew very little about flowers, and even less about what it takes to make them flourish. But I still remember how incredibly beautiful they were. Moreover, given that we were newlyweds at the time, they also served as a small but elegant way of making a place to live a real home. Eventually, however, it came time for us to move. As ministers are wont to have happen, I received a call to serve a church in another town. And so Lisa dug up the gladiola bulbs so that we could take them with us and replant them in the yard of our new home the following spring. Only problem was that in the several months between the time we dug them up and they made it back into the soil, those bulbs took a beating that would make any horticulturist shudder. The bulbs had initially been put in a paper bag, you see, and stored in a cool cellar for the winter. However, somewhere along the line, that bag got moved to a shelf near a wood furnace, where it got a steady dose of hot and dry blasts emanating from wood-fired heat. And that was only the beginning. In short, throughout the winter that followed, those bulbs were trampled on, tossed about, and generally, if accidentally, abused. By the time spring had arrived, we'd all agreed that the gladiolas had pretty much had it. At this point, I was ready to toss them out with the rest of the brush. Lisa, however, was undaunted, and determinedly she planted those beleaguered bulbs along the side of our new house. And then we waited. As the slow promise of spring in Maine finally began to be fulfilled that year, day after day went by with sun and rain, warm days and cool nights, and nothing happened. Nothing. In fact, several weeks had gone by, and still no gladiolas were growing at all. But still, still, we waited. Until finally, well into June by now, Lisa gave up. One afternoon, having reluctantly decided to plant something else in the space she'd reserved for the gladiolas, she dug into the ground and pulled up the bulbs she'd planted there weeks before, only to discover, much to our surprise and amazement, that those bulbs had taken root in the soil after all. Though we hadn't seen evidence of it, the gladiolas, you see, were growing very nicely, thank you very much. Not even the certain death of the previous winter could keep those bulbs from springing to life and growing sunward. The gladiolas did, in fact, grew and bloom that summer and for several more to come. Well, each year as I approach Holy Week, I inevitably get to thinking a great deal about those gladiola bulbs. For these are the times that our patience for faith, if you will, is tested. The time when you and I as followers of Jesus Christ have to go beyond our expectations of him and how we prefer to see him. We have to truly come to grips with who Jesus really is and what he has come to do. And for me, as it is for most of us, I suspect, that's a very difficult thing. 
It's one thing, after all, to be a follower of Jesus when it's all about being fishers of people, when light and life and love are the predominant themes of the day. Quite another when walking with Jesus means coming to the cross and then standing helplessly at the foot of that cross as he hangs there dying. It's very easy to imagine ourselves standing with a crowd on the streets of Jerusalem, shouting out our hosannas to the King of Kings, but not so much to consider that we might well have been a part of that very same group that was now a mob calling for his execution. In all honesty, I suspect we'd much prefer that Jesus remain the sweet and tiny child in the Bethlehem manger. Or if he must become an adult, then most certainly he should always stay the teacher and healer of Galilee, the kind and gentle friend who dined with the poor and the outcast, who gathered children around him. And truth be told, for much of the church year, we can almost get away with viewing him only in those guises. But no, come Holy Week, we're forced to see him for who he really is. Jesus Christ, the crucified, the sacred head now wounded, the sacrificial lamb of God, the suffering servant who is the atonement for sin, yours and mine, the one who, as the old hymn put it, bore the dreadful curse for our souls, the Savior who has died for you and for me. And, well, I don't know about you, but as I consider all of this, as I gaze upon the real Jesus there on the cross, it's heavy and sobering and, and well, all too much. And even as one who shepherds congregations through this particular time, I have to confess to you that there are moments I wonder why can't we just skip ahead to Easter? Why can't we just move from celebration to celebration in the church and keep this matter of following Jesus simple and easy. That, of course, would be missing the point. What was it that Anne Weems, that wonderful poet and worship leader, wrote about discipleship? I'd rather hear the singing than the weeping, she wrote. I'd rather see the healing than the violence. I'd rather feel the pleasure than the pain. But, and here's the central point, Discipleship means sometimes it's going to rain in my face. Or to put it another way, in our biblical faith, friends, we know that the day must come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And that glory comes on the cross. As Jesus himself said it, Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Holy Week is a reminder that at the center of our faith is divine sacrifice. And if we are to truly know and celebrate the joy of Easter resurrection, we must first face and endure the agony and death of the cross of Good Friday. And for anyone who would follow Jesus as a disciple, it is difficult. For in watching our teacher and friend as he's betrayed and deserted and arrested and beaten and mocked and scourged and spat upon, as he's finally nailed upon and left hanging on a wooden cross to die, a slow, painful, and truly excruciating death. We must also see ourselves in that cross's shadow. For we are the reason Jesus is there. 
It is us for whom this sacrifice is made. And that's why, as much as we would like to avoid it altogether as Christians, we must come to Good Friday, and we must face Jesus' death on the cross. But all that said, in the face of this, there is truly good news. And it's that no death will ever keep our Lord from rising. The seed will die without question. But though we may not see evidence of it right away, that death will bear much fruit. In much the same manner as those horribly beleaguered gladiola bulbs, bruised, beaten, and utterly defeated, and yet somehow still bloomed. So it was for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who did die on that cross, and yet who conquered death, who himself was bruised, beaten, and utterly defeated in every worldly sense, and yet who triumphed and opened the gates of life everlasting. And the glory of it all is that it was ever and always God's plan for our very redemption and for our renewal as persons. It was always intended for you and me to live together as the whole body of Christ. It was always meant for this hurting world to be brought to healing and to life, both abundant and eternal. As I'm speaking to you here today, it's Good Friday. And speaking both pastorally and personally, I have to say it's always been a hard day for me. And yet at the same time, friends, I also have to tell you that it's good. Because today, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we move with him through death into the life that is glorious and everlasting. And while the way that brings us to the cross is certainly difficult, unthinkably, unimaginably so, the fact that there is an empty tomb awaiting us at the end of this journey gives our suffering and his much greater meaning than we can ever truly begin to understand. And so in the words of, of the epistle to the Hebrews, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace, grace to help in time of need. Thanks be to God, beloved, and amen. And that's it for this episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I'd like to wish for you blessings for Good Friday and a joyous Easter. And until next time, especially in these strange days of pandemic, may God bless you with a great day each day. Talk to you soon.